Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So few of us ever stop and think, right, if I'm to live my life with intention, what do I truly want? What do I value and what beliefs do I have that might get in the way of me genuinely being able to show up to those opportunities? Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream, Visit Mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. On today's show, I have the wonderful Dr. Sophie Moore or as others know her, Dr. Soph. She is on a mission to take psychology outside the therapy room and make it easy to understand. I love following her on Instagram as she breaks emotions down in a way you go, ah, not just me. We talk about stress and recovering from heartbreak in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Soph. Hello. You've definitely changed my life since I've entered the Dr. Soph universe. So I'm excited for everyone else to experience the wonder. So we always kick off with our first three questions. What is your favorite quote at the moment? Okay. So I love this because I've recently been thinking about this quite a lot. I discovered a quote by from the Mad Hatter. Mm. And it is, when you can't look on the bright side, I will sit with you in the dark. And I just think this quote is so incredible because most of us grow up surrounded by this message of chin up, look on the bright side, smile, it might never happen. And whilst most people, when they say those things, are coming, coming from a loving position or think they are, they're often telling you your emotion is unacceptable. I want you to change it, but not really telling you how to do so. Mm. And so in this quote, I think when it says, if you can't look on the bright side, I'll sit with you in the dark. Instead of saying change your emotion, it's unacceptable. It's saying I get that sometimes we just feel terrible. And there's nothing you can do about that. And I'm not going to leave you alone in that. And I'm not going to try and fix you. I'm just going to sit with you until that dark passes. So it was a game changer when I found that quote. God, I love that. And it's almost like a manual of how to support a friend. Yeah. Everything that you need is in that sentence. What's the most profound life lesson you've been reminded of recently? So, recently, someone said to me that a level five desire is almost always accompanied by a level five pain. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they were telling me about this concept that 
uh, if you rate kind of the desire you have from something from one to five, the stronger your desire, your stronger your drive for it and you're striving for it, the more pain will also follow it or come with it. And I absolutely love this because this, when I heard it, you know those things where you're like, oh my God, that's so true. Think about those things where you've thought, I'll be good enough when I reach this point. And you work your ass off to get there. For example, you're striving, you're striving, you're striving. You feel like you're getting closer. The desire for it is getting stronger. And even, so let's say you do reach the goal. Then you have this amazing, like overwhelming burst of dopamine. You feel great. And then it disappears. Mm. And you ne- you realize you never feel the way that you thought you might for example or you feel like you've birthed something and suddenly you feel empty or you're a perfectionist like me and the goalposts move for example suddenly it's not enough anymore you start seeing the flaws in the thing that you were working towards or just the fact that you're so driven just creates so much anxiety and pain so I love this idea because It makes me realize when my brain starts to strive and run ahead of me and my desires become too much and maybe my ego gets too involved. I'm like, oh, maybe we need to just dial this back a little bit Mm. because the amount of striving is going to be equal to pain. So can I take this back to a level two desire? So the pain isn't quite as much as well. Does that make sense? That's giving me a very much of an aha moment yes, right, right now. When you want something so much, there's so much pain that comes with it. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with feeling pain. But sometimes we get so caught up and stuck in this cycle of desire, pain, desire, pain. You can think about it in the dating world as well. I was going to say, yeah, that, yeah. that definitely comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like You can think about it in any area of your life. And we kind of get hooked on that cycle. So I now have this visual of a little dial in my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm going to just turn that dial just a little bit back down. What would it feel like if this was a level four? What would that look like? What would it feel like a level three? What would it feel like at a level two? I'm like, I think two is a good place to stop now. It's almost a bit like a night out too. It's kind of like you're going, you're having a great time. Do you want another drink? Yeah, another drink. And you don't, it's it's like assuming you're never going to have a hangover. Yes, assuming exactly. Assuming that no late night is ever going to have an effect on you. Yes. And it's how big do you want to go because you will have, you know, you'll have that tiredness. There's always an equal and opposite reaction. Exactly. Or you're working your ass off. You're like, I don't need to rest. Mm. <laughs> oh God, been, been there, done that. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I'm so broken. I think I might be burnt out. So, yeah, this idea of desire equaling pain was just so fascinating to me. Or on the other kind of side of things, accepting that if you're willing to enjoy that desire, Mm. which is awesome, just also accept the pain and not be so shocked by it. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I can't always dial it back down to level two desire. I'm a pretty (laughs) excitable person. Quite like, ah, I'm all in or I'm all out. And so, yeah, sometimes... It's okay to have a level five desire and just be kind to yourself during the moments of the level five Mm. fallout. How do you define happiness? So I think for me, happiness is this kind of deep sense of feeling centered. It's knowing that um, things can happen around me but won't necessarily blow me off course. Mm. It's like having an anchor into the present moment. But it's also a deep feeling of being connected to others and I think it was in have you read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck 
brilliant Mark Manson. Yes, brilliant. I think in there he talks about the definition of happiness being about um, conquering problems. So actually solving problems lead to deep happiness rather than avoiding them. And I think more and more I'm starting to realise that for me happiness is this centre, this connection, but also chipping away at problems and tasks and solving things and feeling like I'm progressing. I really like that. Yeah, there's another quote I often refer to, which is, happiness is not the absence of problems, the ability to deal with them. Mm. Yes. I mean, that feels just so right. So you have the most incredible kind of online platform that you've developed relatively quickly, in all honesty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really quickly. Really quickly. <laughs> yeah, in a year. Yeah, and it's, inc- and it's incredible to have seen it explode. Um, and when I really think to myself why, I think you're one of the few people that have massively made therapy and this subject around mental health deeply understandable. And this is coming from someone who's researched for five years and suddenly I read your post. I'm like, oh, that's what the textbooks are trying to tell me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. That's very kind. If you could have five minutes with every human, with every Mm. human being on this planet and could tell them one thing about their mind, what would it be? Oh, my word. Okay. I think there's a message that I would want to get out to every person. So I think this might be the answer. And if you want more, just ask me. I think it is that almost everything that people experience is explainable. So I think most people think that when they're distressed, when they're struggling, they're failing, and that their mind in somehow mind has somehow broken or that they are vulnerable. And then this understandably leads to shame and fear, which always exacerbates any symptom. Mm. think about for example I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack but the first time you have anxiety and you don't know what it is the fear of what it might be ramps up those experiences until you tip into a panic attack purely just not knowing is the reason that that can that can happen Um, so if I could sit down with every person it would be to say you make sense All of those experiences and struggles that you have every day will be down to your unique experience of the world. And probably the fact that the world hasn't necessarily taught you how to cope with those things. So that would be the first thing. And then I would immediately switch into (laughs) a very brief whistle-stops tour, I suppose, of what we know is the evolutionary science behind emotions and the fight-or-flight response. So we, our brains only care about one thing, and that is keeping us alive. Literally nothing else. It doesn't care about you having a good time. (laughs) It doesn't care about whether you get those great shoes. Um, It just cares about you as part of your species surviving. So the way that your brain does this is it spends its whole time scanning the environment for danger. Thousands of years ago, as a caveman, that would mean that you're, you'd come into the world and someone would say to you, okay, so lions and tigers, they're dangerous. People stealing from you, that's dangerous. If we don't have resources, we'll starve. Getting kicked out of the tribe might lead to certain death as well. So your brain would spend its time scanning the environment for danger. Anytime it found something, it would activate the only system it has to manage any kind of stress or threat, which is the fight or flight response. It also has the freeze response and the fawn response, but we don't need to talk about that. And when it finds a threat, it prepares you to run or to fight for your life. So suddenly your heart starts to race. The muscles in your chest get tighter. All of the energy is sent to your arms and to your legs because that's what you would use if you're going to run or fight. Suddenly the blood 
is sent away from areas you don't need, such as your stomach. So that feeling of blood leaving your stomach is what butterflies is. Suddenly your mind starts to race because your brain is trying to look at what the danger is and predict what's going to happen next. Now, as a caveman, it'd be running through all of its old memories about what could be happening here, what could be happening here, what could go wrong. Great. Thousands of years ago, you would have experienced fear in an appropriate moment. We've evolved, society has changed, but our brains haven't really. So our brains now have this highly negative skew. But the danger that they're looking for isn't lions and tigers anymore. It's whatever you've been taught to fear. Now, I think this is really interesting in the context of anxiety because most of us are taught to, um, and actually the theme of what we've been talking about, emotions are bad unless they're happiness. Mm. Push them away. Um, Emotions are something to be avoided and can be quite dangerous. So the moment, for example, someone feels an emotional experience outside of happiness, if they've heard that emotions are to be avoided their brain goes, oh shit, we found danger, threat, alert, alert, alert. Suddenly, the fight or flight response is activated. Suddenly, your heart is racing, your mind is racing, but your mind is now looking through every single memory it has linked to this scenario, anything that went wrong in the past. So your mind is now full of all of these terrible, terrifying thoughts. And your arms are shaking and you're sweating and your stomach feels terrible. So evolutionarily, every single person on this planet, every day when they're stressed or come across something that their brain thinks is a threat, gets this fight or flight response that most of us don't know how to understand. And every day our brain is hyper negative because that's what helped us survive in the past. That's why when someone pays you a compliment, for example, the compliment doesn't stick, but any insult stays with you for weeks. So what we know is the way our brain evolved in the past to keep us safe is actually causing us quite a lot of problems these days. And even worrying about your own emotions can set off that fight or flight response. So I tell them about that a little bit more and then I do a breathing exercise and get people really into, I know you're into this, belly breathing, diaphragmatic breath, diaphragmatic breathing, and show people how to soothe their own systems probably would take longer than five minutes so rather than speaking to everyone for five minutes I'd maybe do something like this (laughs) and speak to many people at a time did that kind of answer your question just even so excellently (laughs) I can't thank you enough for that because we were actually just chatting before we hit record about just I feel how abandoned we've been as a Mm. human species that we went to school we learned how to read and write yet no one sat us down and told us what you've just told us essentially how to be a human being Mm. It's unreal. The fact that everywhere you go, you're going to see the negative. Not because there's something wrong with you or because you're a negative person, but because you're human. Your stress response is going to really tip you over the edge and make you feel insane. But you're not. It's just that your brain doesn't have another way to manage. And we were never taught this. It's so yeah. mad to me. Like, think about all those topics you were taught in school that you do not use now. <laughs> like, <Right>. honestly, <laughs> honestly, I don't use anything really. Like, I, you know, nothing against the education system, but I just think... If you could be taught how to ground yourself, how to soothe yourself and how to share from an early age and how to support each other, everything would be different. Completely. What is your understanding? And I would love kind of your explanation um, because I think neuroplasticity is quite an empowering concept Mm, to mental health because it suggests we can ourselves create change. Mm -hmm. 
you obviously, you know, work and create change in many people's life. Mm -hmm. What is your understanding of neuroplasticity and how do you break it down? So it's really not that long ago that we even knew that neuroplasticity was a thing. So neuroplasticity is the idea that your brain can change. We used to think that once you'd reached a certain point and your brain was matured, the only thing that changed was that it declined. Yay! Anyway, now we know that say you have some kind of injury to a part of your brain, your brain will try its best to adapt and shift the neural pathway, so the literal structure that it has in the brain so that you can make up for that lost function. That's if you had an injury. But this is happening every day. So, for example, in London, the old school cab drivers had to learn the knowledge. They had to learn every single street in London before they were able to drive a black cab. And what we know now is that when you look at their brains pre and post the knowledge, their hippocampus, the part of their brain for memory, is ginormous. It's got so big because they've taken on so much new information. So from these studies where we've looked at brains shifting after damage and brains growing after learning new information, we now know that the more you use different parts of your brain, the more you learn to do new activities, different parts of your brain can literally lay down new levels of layers of cells. So People often say to me, I'll never change because I'm this way. I'm like, well, that's very interesting. But we actually know that by repeating this new behaviors over and over again of specific types, we can literally change the structure and the function of your brain. Mindfulness, for example, if you practice mindfulness, um, they've shown that over between six and 20 weeks, depending on what study you read, you get increased cortical thickness. That's the number of cells in your prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain responsible for bringing you into the present moment, helping you make complex decisions, pay sustained attention and literally be in the actual driver's seat of your life. It also causes a reduction in cortical thickness. So in the number of cells in the amygdala, the area responsible for fear. So neuroplasticity means you can change your brain in a way that's just mind-blowing, meaning you can change the way you show up in your life. Wow. Wow. No big deal, huh? And that's, I mean, it's so exciting, especially Mm. as we're moving into this new year. Mm -hmm. And actually to like be able to really talk about that message, which is, guys, we don't need to have the same year as we did last year. Oh, my word. Absolutely. And I'm thrilled about that. Last year was challenging. (laughs) Yeah, I think each time we saw each other, we were just so exhausted last year. I'm hoping for a kind of slightly more centered breathing out year. So there's three topics I really want Mm. to tackle this year to make it a bit easier. And I hope the listeners will agree too. So I'd Mm. love to ask you about them. So I went through a mini breakup last year that did rock me. Mm, Why? Sorry. That's okay. We all we all go through it. Um, why are breakups so painful from a psychological point of view, and how can we manage them better this year? So some of us, if for those that have to go through them, they're mm. a little you know we can get through them a bit easier. <sighs> Such a good question, and something I talk about all the time um, because it doesn't matter how old you are. Breakups just can knock like they knock you off your feet totally derail you and what's really interesting about this is um (laughs) it's not because you're failing or because you haven't grown up yet that you struggle it's because your um brain treats both rejection and separation so physical um, emotional pain sorry it treats it the same as it treats physical pain now what i mean by that is There's two really interesting experiments. One is 
there was a piece of scientific research that was done where <laughs> they got people to think about a significant X and they scanned their brain. And then they got other people and put increasing amounts of heat on their arms, so started to burn them with higher and higher temperatures. And they found that the same parts of the brain were activated in both subjects. So pain was interpreted in the brain and activated the same areas as thinking about your ex. So this was one of the first pieces of news where we were like, oh my word, our brain treats ending a relationship in the same way as it does literally being burnt. So physical and emotional yeah, pain being Yeah, physical and emotional pain, the same, exactly. And another one um, was that they got people to pick imaginary dating profiles and be like, oh, I'd like to date that one. And then they put them in a scanner and they told them that they were rejected. Like, oh, this imaginary person doesn't fancy you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really ruthless. It's really ruthless. And they found in that situation that not only were the pain pathways activated, but the brain started to... Um, emit, produce uh, its own painkillers. So, emotional pain, similar to physical pain, brain activates all of these really strong physical experiences in our body and then releases its own painkillers to try and help you. So that's the first thing. Heartbreaks will always derail you because your body treats it as you're in actual physical danger wow second part is when you date someone okay firstly let's think about the one day dates yeah okay <laughs> so the first time you meet someone you don't know them let's be honest <laughs> it's always such a shock when I think about that you know people are like oh I've dated this person twice and they're talking about them and I'm like I mean they're basically a stranger but cool right because we forget that right so true so true so true um so firstly you meet this stranger but your brain projects all of your best hopes mm. and dreams and ideas about humans onto that person. You don't see this person as, hang on, this is a total stranger. You suddenly you're like, oh my word, there's so much potential. Next week, next year, we're going to have a camper van. And then the year <laughs> after that, we're going to be like, I don't know, plotting vegetables on Mondays and then raving on Saturdays. You know what I mean? Whatever your perfect dream is. I just gave you a really big insight into my mind. Um, okay, so that's projection comes onto that person really quickly. And suddenly you're really pulled towards them. Mm. Suddenly they mean so much more to you than they possibly could. If you met someone twice on the subway or on the tube, you wouldn't be thinking, ooh, campervans. Would you? You'd be like, oh, that's a stranger. But suddenly your brain has projected all your best hopes onto these people. So when those kind of relationships end, they're devastating because you're losing the idea, ideal person. You're losing the idea of the perfect person. Suddenly your hopes and dreams and your projections are shattered and that's very, very distressing. But when you've been dating someone for a while, what makes it distressing as well is we incorporate the people we date into our sense of identity. So that's like our mental representation of who we are. So when we break up with someone, it's like part of our identity has been ripped out. Suddenly there's a hole, an actual hole in our representation of ourselves, which leaves us leave feeling lost, confused, often quite uncertain of who we are now. And so this unique mix of, we haven't talked about grief, but this unique mix of physical slash emotional pain plus confusion and loss of identity can send us into a real tailspin. 
Wow. Mm, and that's not even thinking about questioning yourself, self-worth. You know right, what I mean? and then it triggering the, re- the, the rejection response, yeah. which it sparks off a whole lot of probably conditioning and, and oh my word. B- belief setting. And, and if you've like had it, you know, remember the people we date often, this is a very complex idea that I'm going to just gently put down on the table. <laughs> we often date people who remind us of something from our childhood. You can see it as either we often date people who are going to pour salt into our wounds. Yay. (laughs) So if you had a rejecting childhood, you might unintentionally but unconsciously end up in these relationships where you feel slightly rejected over and over again. So then, you know, and then I don't know, it just breakups are very complicated. Dating is very complicated and everyone has a unique experience. But the thing that brings us all together is our brain thinks that us being chipped out of the tribe equals danger. Mm. So any form of rejection equals fight or flight response. Mm. And on top of that, pain response. And then on top of that, confusion and lack of identity. <laughs> oh, being human. Wow, what a ride. Know, what mm. a ride. It's a real struggle Ooh. at times. Uh, so how do we try and lessen the blow or how do we manage mm. those breakups so we can survive them? Oh my word, such a good question. And there's so many answers to that. I always think there are two first places to go with anything you experience in life. One is connecting to other humans who make you feel safe and loved. Because when you are connected, not only do you see the look in someone's eyes, which is you are worthy, you are lovable, and you are part of something... That releases oxytocin, which is our feel-good hormone, which will lessen some of the pain. And the other side is self-forgiveness. Before anything happens, decide you're going to radically accept yourself and forgive yourself that anything comes up, for anything that comes up. That might be because your brain is going to go down the route of, oh my word, I did this terrible thing in relationships. And you'll beat yourself up there, which remember, you're already in survival mode. You're already in fight or flight. This is like taking a hammer to a broken limb. Or because you might go down the route of, oh, I'm an adult now, I shouldn't be grieving, or I should already be over this. And then that sets off another self-criticism, fight or flight process. So those are my kind of two starting points. Then things like routine, okay? If you know, for example, the mornings are most difficult, or the evenings are, plan something for those times where you are connected to other individuals. If you don't have people that you can hang out with, go for a walk or journal like get that in, get those emotions out onto paper we know that journaling 20 minutes a day can not only change your mood but literally <laughs> this is so insane they found in research that people who journaled for 20 minutes a day had fewer visits to the doctor <laughs> wow. so it changes your whole kind of immune response so journal um exercise exercise breaks down stress hormones this may not even relate to heart, like actually mm. heartbreak, but kind of in terms of romantic relationships. But mm. heartbreak in, let's say you've had to leave a job unexpectedly, mm. or you've, or you know, there's, there's, I think this applies to oh my so, word, anything, yeah, separating from anything, friendship breakdowns, yeah, absolutely. And because imagine if you've worked in a place for a really long time, that's become part of your ent- mm. identity. When that's been ripped out, it's the same. So another thing is really lean into new activities or previously valued activities, really build up your sense of identity and who you are. 
the second topic that I really feel that it would be helpful for us all to kind of spend a moment mm. thinking how we can make it a little less painful in 2020 is self-sabotage. Oh, yeah, go for it. I feel it was a bit of a buzzword of 2019 mm. because I don't think we even realised maybe we were doing it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? What is it, first of all, and how do we just manage it better and do it less this year? Self-sabotage is any time you engage in a behaviour consciously or unconsciously that gets in the way of your desired values. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Goals life. First thing I want to say though, and I think this is important considering it's New Year, is anyone who's set New Year's resolutions. Your New Year's resolutions may and most likely will fail at some point. (laughs) This is not because of self-sabotage. This is why I wanted to put it in. But because your brain doesn't want to change. Your brain does not want to create new habits. And for you to create new habits and new behaviors, you need to use the most energy-heavy part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. And the moment you get tired or stressed, that part of your brain switches off and just sends you back into old habits. So for those of you who've just set up a new, uh, you know, New Year's resolution, and you're like, oh my God, is it self-sabotage because I'm not able to carry on this new habit? No, give yourself a break, practice self-kindness. As I said, this is the first thing to do in any situation and say, oh, my brain just needs more time with me practicing my new activities. It's okay that I slipped off the wagon. I just need to start again. So I want to get that out of the way because people sometimes assume everything is self-sabotage when actually it's just your brain resisting change. Good. Okay, second thing, why might people self-sabotage? This is a big one and it's really complicated and a lot of therapy is around this, but let's keep it light. Sometimes, and I think this is the most interesting form of self-sabotage, people self-sabotage because they don't actually want the thing they think they want. And or they don't think they deserve the thing they think they want. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I worked with someone. I think this is interesting. I don't know if you'll be able to resonate with this. I worked with someone who, um, well, many people, not just someone. I've worked with so many people that this speaks to. Talk about wanting to be in a relationship and how things haven't worked out. And for many people, it's ended up being that when they've got into a relationship, something has happened just at a point where they've ended up kind of ending it or behaving in a way that's led to an end of the relationship. Because underneath, there's a fear belief or a belief that being in a relationship would end in them losing their independence. So the moment they get to that point where their independence is threatened, suddenly they panic. 
I've definitely engaged in this behavior before as well myself. <laughs> you know, you start panicking and either you end it or you start behaving in a way that causes the relationship to be untenable. So that would be a form of self-sabotage. God, it's really interesting, isn't it? Not wanting mm-hmm. deep down the thing you on the surface appear to want. Yeah. I mean, very few of us. When did you last really check in and think, what do I actually want from life? And I don't mean in a goals way. I mean in a values way. So, for example, what are the things that are really important to me? What are the things I want to chip away at every day? What are the things, you know, when lying on my deathbed and someone reads my eulogy, they're not going to talk about how many cars or teddies I have. They're going <laughs> to instead talk about the, like aspects of your personalities, values, the things you brought into your life. And I think so few of us ever stop and think, right, if I'm to live my life with intention, what do I truly want? What do I value and what beliefs do I have that might get in the way of me genuinely being able to show up to those opportunities? No one really stops and does that. I mean, when did you last do that? I think that often <laughs> crises, like a real yeah. breakdown, will force you. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's like those I, are the times yeah, I've done it too. I went through a year of like very many kind of like breakdowns, which, you know, when you're at that point, you're like, mm. oh, God, got to do the work. Mm. But, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't want people to have to experience that level mm. of like despair. Mm-hmm if they don't need to. And I think this is such a good point you bring up because this year, if we start as a regular mental health checker and do some of this work that you're saying. Oh my word, yeah. And again, doing it with people who are like-minded. You know, I said everything that you do, think about the community you can do it with and think about self-forgiveness first because you're always going to get it wrong at some point. Mm. Like going into this year, if you have a group of friends, for example, or allies or people you know or people I don't know you know through social media where you can have these conversations okay what is it that you want to get out of this year and why and genuinely what might get in the way of that and really dig deep maybe journal because you might not feel able to say to someone the things that you fear right Right. and then let's say you get to that little kind of niggling stone in in your in, <laughs> yeah. in your shoe yeah and you start to then appreciate your little toes um, yes. let, you know and you get that kind of fundamentally I don't think that I'm good enough for mm. it what is your tip to then try and change that I'm not good enough voice well again what's so interesting is I don't think there's one person on the planet right now who doesn't have the I'm not good enough mm. feeling um, recently I did a post where Uh, I wrote on Instagram, sometimes I feel like a failure when, and I wrote down, you know, the times when I feel like I'm not good enough. And like, within I don't know how long, 250 people had written the times that they felt like that. It was so clear suddenly, like, oh my God, all of us are feeling like failures. All of us feel like we're not good enough almost all of the time. Again, remember (laughs) the brain has a negative skew and we've grown up in a society that shows us pictures of these perfect people in magazines and our brain's like, that's perfect. Why am I not that? I am not good enough. So again, connect to other people. Allow yourself to be in communities um, where people talk about these things openly. One of my top tips to every human is surround yourself by people who aren't afraid to be flawed, who aren't afraid to be open about the fact that they feel like they aren't enough. Because when you look at those people, you're like, what? You're definitely enough. Oh, my God, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So So we want to start being part of a community that's bigger than us. But when we start thinking, hang on, what would I say to a friend in this scenario? 
what could ha- what could I do if I was offering that kindness back to myself? That level of compassion really starts to kind of reparent us. You know what I mean? Starts to retrain the way our brain understands ourselves and shows up to ourselves. Yeah, it's a long old journey. It's a long old journey. And also the great thing, I think... um, it, we're all slightly realizing it's it's a lifetime. It's, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, Woo, you, yeah. it's not just you know you do the activity once. Mm. It's something that is mm-hmm. a constant thing. Mm. Lastly, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. How do we maybe bring this more into, uh, more under control in twenty twenty? Huh. So I think what's really important is that we need to shift this narrative that perfectionism is a badge of honor that by having a perfectionist streak, you will do better and succeed more. I think that's the first step, right? Yeah. Do you come across that? People who are like quite proud to say, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at one. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you're looking at one too. Um, so we really, firstly, this year need to be shifting that narrative because perfect is unattainable. We can't get there. The harder you work for it, the more the goalposts move and the more you realize... <laughs> You're never going to achieve it. Um, So that's the first thing. I think second thing is recognizing where your need for perfectionism comes from. Because for some people, there is a drive to be perfect because purely because the environment they exist in, as in as an adult, has told them that to be enough, you need to be perfect. But for other people, it was very much ingrained in them from the moment that they came into the world. You know, maybe, for example, you grew up in a family home or a family or a culture, a society that said, for you to be safe and worthy here, you need to do everything perfectly. Otherwise, you will be out. You will be in danger. You will not be part of this family or community. Because I think when you recognize where your perfectionism came from, because it's almost always a survival strategy, you can develop not only an understanding for yourself, but you can develop a level of compassion. Like, oh, I had to develop this skill in order to feel enough in my childhood. When you realize that, you realize you're carrying with you very, very emotionally distressed memories that you need to attend to and look after. So, yeah, change the narrative. Think about where your perfectionism came from. And, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> what is that? Start practicing being imperfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. You know, your brain, yeah. Any when you're a perfectionist, you have the most accurate imperfection detector system. Like, you just can't imagine how sensitive this imperfection detection system is that you have. And... This means that your brain, again, scanning the environment for threat, looking for anything that can go wrong, looking for almost anything that might suggest you are imperfect. Fight or flight response activated. The only way to push through this is to decide, okay, what's an area I can safely practice being imperfect? And then you decide to do it and then you go and make that mistake (laughs) and your panic comes up and you're like, oh my God, I can't go, this is terrible. (laughs) And you breathe through it, you come back, you ask yourself, okay, how was that? Was it as bad as I thought? What did I learn from it? What would I do differently next time? And over time, by allowing this threat response to come up and go down, come up and go down, come up and go down over and over again and allowing your brain to learn, oh, actually, it wasn't as dangerous as I thought. Over time you will slowly shift towards or more close to 
the idea that imperfection is not only human, but is tolerable, survivable, and actually, you know, probably the much better route to a happy, fulfilled life. I love that. You learn to be okay yeah. with the mini imperfections yeah. of the large ones. Unfortunately, I often and so <laughs> things seem to happen in my life where I've had to just face the fact that I will always make mistakes, always do imperfect <laughs> things and that I have to survive them. And so, yeah. <laughs> okay, to finish off, mm-hmm. I invite you to finish the sentence mm-hmm. I begin. I relax by. Zoning out and staring at the ceiling. The person I love most in the world is. My family dog. (laughs) (laughs) The name? Ruby. I just panicked because I knew that people would be upset, so I went for a neutral one. (laughs) The book I think everybody should read is? Ooh, um, All About Love by Bell Hooks. Best thing I bought recently was? This red suit jacket makes me feel killer. I agree. She looks fantastic (laughs) right now. Best piece of advice I was given was? Oh, this was a great one. Someone once said to me that when they're talking to someone, they say to themselves, I already know what I'm going to say, but I don't know what they're going to say. And I repeat that, that to myself now when I'm speaking to people, when I have the urge to jump in and chat. I already know what I'm going to say, Sophie. Let them speak. We don't know what they're going to say. And that's really changed my ability to listen. Oh, that's great. My first thought in the morning usually is? Oh, God, I hate mornings. <laughs> Before I go to sleep, I breathe. When I'm feeling insecure, I journal. If you really knew me, you would know. I'm absolutely ridiculous human individual. (laughs) (laughs) That makes two of us. Yay! (laughs) Um, Dr. Soph, you're a dream um, in every sense of the word. Uh, This podcast has been so fantastic. It's been my therapy. Um, (laughs) And honestly, just what you've shared is hugely valuable for a better 2020 for all of us. Now, how do we find you? How do we bring every single person to get more of Dr. Soph in their daily life? Good question. Okay. How do you find me? So Instagram is the easiest, (laughs) I think. And I am at underscore D-R-S-O-P-H. So at underscore Dr. Soph. My website is drsoph.com, D-R-S-O-P-H.com. And I have a blog, uh, which if you are struggling and want to know more, or if you have anyone in your life who's struggling, there's loads of free information and worksheets on there that you can just access at any time audios you know all sorts I'm all about yeah as Poppy was saying getting psychology out of the therapy room and into our lives because I think we all deserve to understand ourselves better couldn't agree more Mm. Dr. Soph did a fantastic course on the Happy Not Perfect app what is emotions Mm. and so they are just again bite size info pieces um, just to help you live better yeah gosh there's loads of them isn't there like what are emotions what is anxiety Mm -hmm. what are scary thoughts Mm -hmm. how to manage breakups yeah Yeah. so happy not perfect people so unbelievably grateful for your work what Mm. you do every single day I feel the same thank you so much for being here thank you oh I loved it okay happy new year everybody (laughs) yeah that's it for today thank you for listening of course it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast you can find me at poppy jamie on instagram dm me questions or any guest suggestions i'd love to hear from you and also if you have a moment download happy not perfect It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, 
and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.